0: Thank you, Denny. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Lunar New Year. And as my people say, as families gather to celebrate, I hope this is a sweet time of reunion over good food and great conversation. I still have very fond memories of my times hanging out with the cousins. And of course, getting those red envelopes from the uncles and aunties. And you know, no matter how Americanized you get, You don't ever turn down those traditional gifts. Money is money. And um, actually, that's the message that's going to come. Uh, Let me pray for us before I share this morning's word. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being a good father. Bless those here and those hearing my voice online. May you open our eyes, our ears, our minds, and most importantly, our hearts for what you want us to know and experience. What is impossible for man is possible with you. So transform us to do the unthinkable. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Amen. There's a saying that goes like this. Life is hard. Then you die. That's a pretty pessimistic view on life. But if we are honest with ourselves... There's an ounce of truth expressed in that statement. By itself, life has enough challenges already, like civic responsibilities, earning a living, raising a family, paying our bills, caring for others, doing what's best, and doing what is right is tough enough. And I totally understand that. Yet on top of this, as Christians, the choices we make in this world become even more difficult when we are trying to follow Jesus' teachings on top of that. And not helping, with good intentions, our peers can come alongside us, even give us support and justification that it's okay to fall short of God's best for us. But is that really an acceptable reason not to do what God wants us to do? We are now in a series called Upside Down. And Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, tells us things that would we would consider unthinkable. This is obviously all relative, depending on your values, your culture, your privilege, your personality, and even the circumstances. So here's a question for all of us to ponder. What are things that you would consider unthinkable to do? For me, it would be breaking the law. But that was essentially what my wife was asking me to do years ago. When my wife was ready to give birth to our second child, I was driving us to the hospital. And in the car, she kept yelling at me, go faster, go faster. Now, I have to admit, I am the weaker uh, sex to any woman going through labor pains. And let me tell you, you don't ever argue with a woman that is in that kind of pain. You just try to comply when she's screaming orders at you. So for me, in that situation, speeding, okay. But running through red lights, mm, I kind of draw a the line there. I don't think so. In that moment, that was unthinkable for me. So thankfully, my daughter was delivered at the hospital without me getting a ticket. This week, we are continuing in a Sermon on the Mount, And our passage is from Matthew 5, verses 38 to 48. And here, Jesus will tell us to do unthinkable things from a worldly perspective. So let's turn together to Matthew 5. If you have your Bibles, I'm sure it's going to be shown on the screen behind me, starting with verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who warns, who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, as your heavenly father is perfect. And that is the word of the Lord. So the first unthinkable thing that Jesus tells us here is this. Seek to do service, not vengeance. Jesus tells us to serve the person who hurt you instead of getting back at him. Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but is that really possible? To love somebody that hurt you? Well, verse 38, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Here, Jesus was quoting an Old Testament law. Our natural tendency is to seek vengeance over over justice. And many of us are going, yeah, that's right. I'm going to get my pound of flesh. Because the Bible says that. But there's a big difference between justice and vengeance. Justice is supposed to be unbiased and equitable and not cruel and unreasonable. God gave this command to prevent his people from punishing others above what was needed. Lose an eye, get an eye. Lose a tooth, you get a tooth. Nothing more. If you lose a cow, you get a cow back. If you murder someone, taking it to the extreme, then the just penalty involves only your life not harming the lives of every member of your family. That would be vengeance or revenge, not justice. But sadly, we have seen historically families, clans, tribes, nations, a never-ending feud of going back and forth. Jesus is also not canceling the law here. He is not saying that there are no consequences for our wrongdoings. He is implying, let the governing authorities be responsible for doling out judgment for crimes. Jesus is telling us to not take justice into our own hands. Because if left to us, our egos and pride with our biases and prejudices will sway us towards vengeance. We often seek retaliation in the name of justice to prove that we are better that we are stronger, that we're superior to the other person who did us wrong. And that is pride, and that's sin. Instead, what are we supposed to be responsible for? Well, as Christians, we are supposed to be changed for the better by Jesus. With Jesus in our lives, we are different. A difference that the world should see and notice. As Jesus' followers, we ought to be secure in our transformed identity as children of God. That when we are wronged, we do not rely on legal judgments like others do in the world. Instead, we would trust God to bring justice for us. And place our focus on taking every chance, every opportunity to humbly serve others, both good and evil. In that way, the reality of God's grace in us attracts people to the good news of Jesus. This is radical and countercultural, but that's being distinctive. Jesus gives us a picture of how a Christian can be distinctive in the following verses, in verse 39 to 42. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I want to make clear here that Jesus is not telling us to be doormats or to be gluttons for punishment. With each of these examples, we must be careful to not misunderstand him and his intent that to take automatically these verses literally. To not ever defend ourselves if someone assaults us or sues us in court, or not to use discernment when someone is asking for financial help is not what Jesus is saying here. We naturally do that anyway. And there are times this is what God actually wants us to do. But to balance this out, Our natural to balance out this natural tendency to seek justice for ourselves, Jesus wants us to consider this, to think: How can we humbly lay down our rights and have an attitude, a posture of servanthood, even with those we don't get along with, or even who are against us? So, a question for all of us: Can you serve someone who is so despicable, so unlovable? Someone who is seen as a monster by society? Would this be so unthinkable for you? Well, back in the mid-1990s, I worked as a dentist in the county jail system. And at that time in the jails, there was a man named Richard Allen Davis. And I think I have a picture of him that we can show now. Uh, I blurred out the obscene gesture as best I could. That was making to the press. This was taken right after he was convicted of a horrific crime, and he was very angry of that sentence. Mr. Davis was convicted of a horrific crime of kidnapping, sexually assaulting, and murdering a young girl named Polly Klass. During that trial, he had a toothache. And apparently no other jail dentist was willing to see him. Since I was the low man on the totem pole, my supervisor put him on my schedule. And to be honest, I couldn't sleep the night before. I prayed for inner peace. And in the morning, God answered my prayer and my anxiousness left me. When Mr. Davis came for his appointment, he was totally different from that picture. He was reserved Polite, respectful, maybe it's because I have very sharp instruments. Not only did I treat him, I even prayed for him when he was in my chair. And that's what Jesus expects of me, to extend grace in his name. And thankfully, God gives grace to all people. And only God can judge Mr. Davis and not me. Afterwards, I was surprised by the number of people giving me a hard time that I could even be in the same room with a person like that, let alone treat him. For me, having qualifications to be a doctor is not necessary, but there, or is necessary, but there should be none to be a patient. And likewise, as a servant of Jesus Christ, I am called to serve others, no matter if they are good or evil. This is upside down, and that would be distinctive to the world's ways. Jesus himself said he came not to be served, but to serve. Serving others, especially those who have hurt us, is a kind of unconditional love Jesus gives us. I mean, think of all the times that we have hurt Jesus, the times that we ignored him or even disobeyed him. And still, Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So likewise, he wants us to serve others for his kingdom's sake. To serve those who wronged us is apparently not far enough. Because Jesus goes even further. He tells us the next unthinkable. Love your enemy as your neighbor. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And apparently this was being taught taught back then. And Jesus was saying, this was wrong. God's command to love your neighbor is repeated over and over again in Scripture. Because we have a tendency to forget to be exact love your enemy or excuse me, love your neighbor as yourself is found both in the old testament like in leviticus 19 and in the gospel of mark as the second great commandment on the other hand hate your enemy is not in the bible but was commonly acceptable back then and maybe i dare say even today to counter this idea jesus gives this teaching but i tell you Love my enemy? For many of us, that would be so unthinkable. Many of us um, are heartbroken over the recent tragic death of Michelle Goh, who is part of our CLC family community. I have a picture of when Michelle was part of our youth group. She's on the upper right corner there. This is uh, a young woman who had many years of her life to live. But that was snatched away from her in a violent crime. The greatest nightmare for any parent is to have their child precede them in death. And I can't imagine what kind of pain my friends who are her parents are feeling now. As Christians, how could Michelle's parents apply these verses to the man that killed their daughter? Love my Enemy, But it is into this kind of reality that Jesus tells us to love your enemy. Jesus stretches the boundaries when it comes to loving others because we are prone to finding ways to avoid doing these hard commands, especially for the so-called least of these. If we allow ourselves to have exclusions, to have exceptions... You can easily see we can marginalize certain people from being loved in the name of Jesus. And Jesus' love is inclusive. We can find people in the Bible who are just like us, who ask these kinds of questions to Jesus. So who is really my neighbor? And exactly how many times am I supposed to forgive him? Jesus raises the bar of who our neighbor is. He tells us to have God's perspective that our enemy is also our neighbor. If we are to love our neighbor, then as the children of God, we must love our enemy and not hate our enemy. So question for all of us again. Can you love your enemy? Has God ever used you in a particular situation to express this unthinkable love? I have another picture here, and it's a time that God did just that with me. Imagine seeing this done to your car, all four tires slashed. Back uh, in the day when my son was in high school, a young man was angry with my son. Of course, of all things, it has to be over a girl. Out of jealousy, this guy threatened my son and in the dark of night slashed the cars or the tires of my car that I let my son drive. You can imagine how angry I was. You threatened my son, you threatened me. Long story short, the young man was arrested and confessed to the crime. His crime was pretty serious. Because due to the amount of damage, it's a felony. And in post-9-11, if you do a threat over the internet, it's a felony. Now get this. This is the unbelievable part. The police asked me to not press charges. But to allow this guy to make reparations to me. Honestly, I wanted my pound of flesh. That's how mad I was. And as a pastor, I should know better, but I wanted vengeance, not justice. I mean, this guy wanted to hurt my son, and I wanted him to go to prison. My, my wife uh, had to talk me down from using street justice. And after wrestling with the Holy Spirit to not curse this guy, I agreed to not press charges. When I met with him to settle the debt, he surprised me again. He told me he couldn't pay me because he didn't have the money. God was really testing me. He asked me to let him pay back in installments. Now, can you believe that? Not only did he damage my car, I had to foot the money to pay thousands of dollars to repair it. But essentially, he was asking a loan from me. It took a lot of restraint for me not to blow my top. That's when I paused to check myself and ask the WWJD question. What would Jesus do? At that time, God reminded me of this verse, to love your enemy. And so I did the unthinkable. I gave him mercy, and I did not press charges. I gave him grace and let him make payments. And on top of that, I gave my so-called enemy compassion, even though he cost me thousands of dollars and threatened my son. After agreeing to his terms, I met privately with this guy's um, older sister who came along with him. I actually wanted to meet his parents, but his parents were afraid to meet with me. Now, I don't know where they got that idea about me, but they didn't want to meet with me. The sister revealed to me that her younger brother was traumatized recently in a fender bender argument. The other car's occupants beat him up severely, blaming him for the accident. He had a lot of suppressed anger over that incident, which he then projected onto my son. Of course, that's not justification for what he did. But out of compassion for him, I gave him advice to go seek counseling for his anger management problem. Now, notice the words I repeated over and over again in my story. I said, I gave, I gave, I gave. Jesus instructs us to love your enemy. And love is a pretty broad term. So how can we express this love? The key is in the word gave. We see this about God's love from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because of love, God the Father gave his son, and the son gave his life on the cross for us. The love Jesus has for us is an example of the love we can have for others, including our enemies. It's a love that makes us ask ourselves this particular question. What does God want me to give to this person in love? Of course, discernment is appropriate to figure out what to give our enemy, which may not be the same to what God wants us to give to a friend or to to a family member. But love we must do, and this will likely require sacrifice to give. Finally, Jesus tells us this, be perfect in love. And we see this in verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I confess I'm a recovering perfectionist. Over time, God has transformed me and I have mellowed over time. But sometimes my perfectionism kind of pops up and causes me to be a big pain in the butt to my family and my friends. Thankfully, folks who truly know me give me plenty of grace and say, that's just Calvin. Now, to show you how bad my perfectionism can be, one time I was at um, my friend's house and I had to go to the bathroom. So I went to the bathroom and while I was doing my business, my eyes were wandering on the room, in the room and I noticed a picture on the wall. And something about that picture bothered me. And it finally dawned on me that the picture frame was not square. Now, most people would ignore this, but, you know, perfectionist me, no. I went to my friend and I said, do you know your, your picture frame is not square? And she said, doesn't bother me. And actually the best part, I got it for, uh, as a bargain on sale. Different strokes for different folks, and praise God for diversity. So as a recovering perfectionist, when I hear this command from Jesus, my first reaction is, no way can I be perfect. But as I reflect on this verse, there's another take that is closer to what Jesus intended us to understand. So what is Jesus getting at about being perfect? My problem was focusing on the first half of this verse and not including the second half. So let's look at the original word for perfect. And oftentimes, English translations don't give the full meaning of the original meaning and intent. In the Greek, perfect is the word teleos, which translated means perfect in the sense of being complete, fully developed, mature. So saying to be perfect, Jesus is not saying to be sinless and without fault, but rather to be mature and complete, a finished product in a particular way. And what is this way? It is to be generous with our love like God is generous. Jesus is calling us to be perfect in love because God is perfect in love. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Our love is perfect if we love even those who hate us and not to love transactionally, like give to get or get and give. That is incomplete love and imperfect. Jesus tells us to serve humbly those who hate us, give sacrificial love to our enemies and love perfectly because we have received God's perfect love. These are three things that can be unthinkable for us in our daily lives, especially with people we just don't get along with or even hate us. But God wants us to stretch ourselves, to take up this challenge, to make the effort to try to grow in our capacity to love unconditionally like God and continually does with us each day true we cannot be totally perfect in our love like God and I know personally I fall way short of that standard and fail over and over again loving others even those close to me let alone those I have a beef with but we can be grateful for the unthinkable love God has shown us through his son Jesus and because of this love that Jesus had for the heavenly father and for us Jesus did the unthinkable and went to the cross for us. We should not respond by sitting idly on our hands, but to strive to be more mature and complete and better in loving others. And here's a challenge for us to think about this week. Who does God want you to love, especially if you see them as your enemy? By doing the unthinkable, can you shine a light that is in you because of Jesus? that will draw that person to the good news and hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you can, then when we are asked that question, how is the world a better place with me in it? You can answer. God did the unthinkable for me, so I can do the unthinkable for others. In the words of John, we love because he first loved us. That's the truth. And the hope we have in Jesus. In a moment. Pastor Eric will lead us in communion. To remember Jesus. For what he did on a cross for us. So let me pray for us. To close this time. Heavenly Father. Thank you for your word. That enlightens. Corrects and transforms. May the Holy Spirit have his way with us. So that we can love others. With your perfect love. To you all the glory.